Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk. Friday, February 24th. It's almost March. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, so, post-game on Thursday, 4-3 overtime loss in Vegas. Somebody on the text line texts in at 960-960. Open for you right now if you're listening live on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. But somebody texts in and says, yep, there's another defeat snatched from the jaws of victory for the Calgary Flames. And I don't know if there is any more accurate way to phrase what happened against the Golden Knights on Thursday night. An opportunity to put together two really impressive wins. An opportunity to put together four really important points. Hell, we could have even been here talking today about, oh, Flames trimmed the gap. Did only six now to the Vegas Golden Knights with two more games still to go and two regulation wins against them. But then things went completely sideways. They were in really good shape after 40. They were in good shape, honestly, after 45 minutes. And then one thing goes against them after I really liked the way they started the third period. And then it's white knuckle time. And then it's hold on for dear life. And and in this instance, they did not. They let Vegas take over. And the third period goes awry on them again. They lose a point. They lose again in Vegas. Eight consecutive losses. Uh, and 0-7-1 lifetime in that building. And the third period ends up being their Achilles heel once again. So it was it in instead of a new storyline, and wow, they finally won in Vegas. And it's not the little shop of horrors. And look what they did against a really good team after that win over Arizona. Instead, it's a more familiar refrain we're talking about on this Friday, eh? The very first ever point for the Calgary Flames in Las Vegas and Ooh. it sure doesn't feel that way does it? it it it's about as hollow a point as you can get absolutely and i i couldn't agree with you more it, it seemed like they were in control of that game obviously they allow a softy and and things kind of snowball from there coming into this season there were a lot of categories and even you know when they get off to a great start there were a lot of categories that you thought the Calgary Flames could yep. potentially lead this league in two that I did not have on the bingo card, most blown two-goal leads in the third period, now tied with the Edmonton Oilers with five apiece, most one-goal losses. 22 one-goal losses is absolutely staggering. Not in a good way. That's been the story of the season. And even on some of those one-goal wins, I can think of, a number of games this year where they were in full control. And then next thing you know, they make one mistake and they white knuckle it and and they find a way to win, but they make life way more difficult on themselves than they have to. And there have been multiple occasions this year where even in picking up two points, 
they make life way more difficult on themselves and they have to play with way more stress on their shoulders than they could have had they just closed out properly. And uh, listen to this. This is um, this is Mackenzie Weger joined us live in Vegas after the game on Thursday night on our Flames Talk postgame show. And, and just... I, I thought there was something right in the middle of this that, that really jumped out at me when he joined us. I just asked him straight up how that game in Vegas got away from the Flames, and this is what uh, McKenzie had to say on Thursday night. I think we just uh, came out in the third period and backed off. Uh, we weren't really playing, uh, you know, to win the game. We were kind of playing, uh, you know, almost to lose there. I don't really know what why we backed off. But um, tough one for our group. Uh, but we got a point, and uh, we got three or four points so far in this road trip. We can make something out of it going to Colorado. So when you hear a guy say we weren't playing to win, it felt more like we were playing to lose. I don't know why we backed off. It got it got my uh, it got my gears spinning. It's a little startling, isn't it? Yeah, especially when he goes. I don't know why we backed off, and and that registered for me in a big way because it sure does feel like this group plays tight and plays without a ton of confidence when things start to maybe go the other way, when they've played really well, but all of a sudden one thing goes against them. It feels like they're really easy to knock into a very tentative and and passive and kind of easy team to take over a game on, which is exactly what Vegas did after the White Cloud goal. And, And yeah, that was probably a soft goal for Vladar to let in and a soft entry for them to allow. And you're like, okay, well, one bad thing happens. It's now a one-goal game, but it completely changed the way they were playing. And and my theory is that this is a group playing as if they're bracing for something bad to happen because those things have happened as many times as they've had as opposed to pushing back. It kind of feels like for... It feels like they're not, for lack of a better term, playing to win, and instead they're playing not to lose. And and I think sometimes when you say those things, it it's a little too oversimplistic, but it really does feel like that right now. It felt like they were playing not to lose after 3-2 and even in overtime. I know everybody is all over Backlund for that change, and, and, and rightfully so. It was a bad decision, but I think he was playing it safe there. In his head, I think he was like, okay, I've been out for more than 30 seconds. I'm a little gassed. I want to get to the bench, get Pelche on. I think it was Pelche who was coming on for him. I want to get my teammate on and have fresh legs. And, okay, I'm going to go now. And Eichel, instead of doing the same thing, saw that he had odd men, turned it up, and next thing you know, it's a 4-3 Vegas win. So I just think right now that it's too easy to knock him into that mentality and I think it's natural with as many things that have gone against them this year or as many times as, as that's happened to them, but that is not the mindset you want to be playing in at this time of year. That's that's my theory on it, but you you also wonder if sometimes they're they're maybe playing a little bit too... What, what's the term that you use when we were setting the, uh, setting the show up today in terms of the way sometimes things go and the way that things slip away from them? Well, sometimes I wonder if they... If there's a little bit of a lack of urgency because they just think it's going to be all right. You know, everything we hear from them is that they have a, a ton of belief. But but I'm I totally agree with you on, on a you know I I sometimes wonder if there's maybe over belief in a big picture way. And and when I say that, I mean I wonder if this team just sort of thinks ah you know we're too good to miss the playoffs. It's all going to be okay. When you look at it more micro, when you look at specific games, you definitely see that lack of confidence in third periods. And 
I'm with Mackenzie Weger. I'm absolutely puzzled about why they backed off last night too, especially because it's not like they had a fluky lead. This wasn't the Arizona Coyotes on Wednesday who couldn't look down the bench at 3-1 and say, hey guys, if we just keep playing the way we're playing, this is going to be yeah. this is going to be just fine. But at 3-1, all the Calgary Flames needed to do, and I realize this is easier said than done against a good team, but at 3-1, all they needed to do was continue to dictate the game the way that they had for 40 minutes. And then suddenly they come out in the third period. They're on their heels the entire time. Some of that's a push from a good opponent. I get that. They had one shot on goal yep. in the third period last night. It would be easy to say, well, if if Rasmus Anderson doesn't hit the post on that late power play, we win. Okay, sure, maybe. But you had one shot on goal in 20 minutes. We heard Jonathan Huberdeau say last night, we quit trying to play offense. And, and that's the part I don't understand. The departure and, and such a drastic departure after 40 minutes from a game that was working. They didn't need their nails on the yep. chalkboard last night. That That's the part that I can't really wrap my head around. Well, and and the the reason why I think it it has something to do with with kind of the the mindset that they're playing with right now and and the the desperation the pressure i think that is on every single every single mistake and and every single shift and every single result is i i don't think that that was the mindset in the room i i can't imagine daryl sutter went in and said all right guys sit back and just try to not get scored on and we'll we'll get out of here with the win. No way he said that cuz cuz that's not the way that his teams are supposed to play. And I thought that for the first 5 minutes and 8 seconds of the third period, they were in pretty good shape. They didn't have a shot, but they were in pretty good shape. They hadn't allowed a shot and they were spending more time cycling it on the attack. And then all of a sudden, Riley Smith gets the easy entry and White Cloud White Cloud maybe gets a bit of a soft goal that he goes the other side on Vladar and then it's floodgates open. And Vegas Did you say it. maybe a soft goal? Yeah, it was probably a, it was definitely a soft goal. It right? sure was. You, and you we haven't said that. that a lot about Dan Vladar, but you know, this is a team that suddenly can't seem to to get a key save from either of their goaltenders and that's really that's really nerve-wracking for a team and that doesn't let the other 18 guys off the hook for the the way that last night ended but geez that turned the momentum of the third period well and and you've been I've never been in that building you have uh when when all of a sudden that crowd starts to feel it, it feels like they can they can turn momentum quickly, and and that crowd is one of those crowds in the league that can feed a team. There are you know sometimes I think oh you're playing at home watch I think that can sometimes be overstated. I don't know if it's overstated in Vegas. It feels like that team absolutely feeds on that building sometimes. And, and the Calgary Flames weren't the only team that would have been sitting there in the third period last night thinking here we go again, right? We we talked about the fact that they've frittered away a two-goal lead in the third five times, tied for the league, quote-unquote, lead, <laughs> if you want to say, in that category. But the Vegas Golden Knights have been one of the teams that has consistently pulled off comebacks this season. And so not just for the fans, but for that group on the bench, there's some here-we-go-again when that starts to yep. happen. And so even more reason that you can't allow 
that one. Now, I'm not sure we heard Daryl Sutter say last night he he believes if they didn't score that second goal that Calgary gets the finish line. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I can't say for certain that was the case. That, that Golden Knights team was really pressing, and there wasn't a whole lot of pushback from the Flames. Yep. But the second one sure hurt. Uh, read you a few texts at 960-960 because uh, lots of good stuff on the text line if you're listening with us live. Uh, it says, that's right. It's the shift between playing to win and playing to not lose. And, and I honestly don't even think that's conscious. Uh, conscious rather. I think it's just you're, you know how important games are. And I think just there's probably 10, 11, 13 players that all of a sudden that game goes in. You're like, oh, boy. Now we're only up by one goal. It's it's honestly just human nature when a season is gone the way that it's gone. And while there are teams like, say, last year's Flames team that would not panic because there were so many instances where they did close out, that builds belief. And this year, when there have been so many instances when it felt like they were going to close out and it's gone the other way, it builds belief the other way. Like, they believe something bad is going to happen, and they believe that all of a sudden the next shoe is going to drop. And I think that's why it's really quick for the mindset or the approach to change. It's not a coaching thing. It's not a conscious thing. It's just, it is what it is, and, and it's all a part of a game played by... Really good, really good athletes, but they're still human beings that still think the same way we all think. It's hard for you and I to gauge because we're sitting here in Calgary and and obviously the post-game interviews last night were at T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. But what concerned me or or what would concern me if I was an employee at the Saddledome is I didn't hear a lot of shock that they'd blown that lead. I didn't get the sense that they were necessarily surprised by that. After the Ottawa game, I got a feeling of, oh my God, how did we let that one get away? I didn't necessarily get that last night. And I think that speaks to exactly what you were just saying, that these are human beings. And and when things have gone sideways on you in that exact scenario several times, you're you're a little cautious, right? Yep. I think, and that's I think that's exactly it. You slow down when you're going past the place that you put it in the ditch. Yep. Uh, this says the Flames were great last season, closing out games under the exact same coach and strategy. One of the very best in the league. This current roster is just not executing the game plan. That's from Mike. Uh, Murray says about the game, they were playing an elite team with the best third period comeback ability in the league. In all, they got three out of four points the last two games. I'll take that the rest of the year. They're in the playoffs if they do that. There's a positive spin from Murray. Um, This says, the biggest issue with this team is the lack of goal scoring. That's the real problem. They've been in so many close games and have no true elite scorers who can put them over the edge when they need it. They will go nowhere without fixing this issue. Huberto, Kadri, Uyghur, all massively disappointing. And, And that is, there's something to that because you think about it, they were so good in the first period. The, the the final 40 minutes, a little bit more even, and then the third period obviously swung Vegas's way. But they were so good in the first period and still only led one nothing. Like, they were clearly the best team on the ice. Vegas was clearly number two, and it was only one nothing. You keep a team in striking distance, and they weren't able to take full control of that hockey game, which has been an issue all year. And 
if someone's line just cut out for a second, they might be wondering if you're talking about Wednesday in Arizona. Yes. When they were also the better team in the first period and didn't wind up with a big lead, lead to show for it. Yep. And, and that is absolutely a, a lack of finish. And I, I don't even know. Certainly there's less finish on the roster. We, we know that. You know, Johnny Gaudreau's gone. Matthew Kachuk's gone. But this, there's more polish. Like, there there's more guys on this roster who are capable of at least putting some pucks in the net for this team to to have the sort of blanket scoring struggles that they have sometimes. And I, I wonder if they're waiting for someone else to sort of take care of it. Right now, I mean, who who's a real threat to score with the puck on their stick right yep. now? Tyler Toffoli, Michael Backlund. Would you keep going? No, not really. It's been that type of year. Yeah. There's not it's it's not a year where this is just not a consistently dangerous team, which has played into why they haven't been able to take over hockey games, even when they've clearly been the best team on the ice. And and sometimes they allow not sometimes, way too often they allow the other team to stick around. And they they allowed the Ottawa Senators to stick around in that comeback. They they were they were by far the better team for fifty seven minutes, but two goals is not a commanding lead. And and while you don't usually see two goals go in with an with an empty net, it allows that chance. You you, you allow other teams. To, I, I think of the game they played in Philadelphia. That was way back early in the season, but. They were the better team, and again, the Flyers are able to make it white-knuckle time with about nine minutes to go in the third period because one mistake leads to a puck in the back of their net. Right, yeah. It took a couple empty netters to yep. get that game back on track at in Philadelphia earlier this season. And so I think, you know, as I look back on last night, there's so many things that that didn't go right, and... and and maybe it would be easier if we were sitting here today and you could just say, it's all, it's all the fault of this. But last night, they needed to get more than a goal out of the first period. The offense, in that sense, let them down. They needed to get a save in the third period. Yep. Dan Vladar, in that sense, let them down. They, they just needed to play their game in the third period. It wasn't one little thing that went wrong. And then... The guy who has absolutely been your best player for the past month makes the wrong call on a, a change in overtime. And I I get the explanation, but it was too far. It it was it was just not a good gamble by Michael no, Backlund. No, and he, he, knows made a, that. he made a really bad choice. And was having an outstanding game prior to that. Absolutely. Twelve points since the bye. Yeah. Five goals. I think he's been plus eight. I yeah, think it's five second half backs is back. Yeah, absolutely. Like he he's he's been terrific. And so when you talk about snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, well, what else could go wrong? Hey, our the guy who's been our most consistently reliable player yeah. for the past three weeks is gonna do something really out of character and that's gonna seal it. Oh, okay. Well that's new. Well, actually, you know what? There's Check that box Hang after on. all. That's a new one on my bingo card. I didn't have that one. Yeah, it's uh, new and inventive ways to find ways to lose hockey games. And now 23 games to go. By the way, 
three games until the trade deadline. They've got Colorado, then Boston, followed by Toronto, and then it's deadline day. And here we are. It's uh, February 24th when we are talking right now, which is one week from the 2023 deadline. March 3rd is very, very fastly approaching. I, I would imagine that your conviction in terms of how you feel about this team and, and more importantly, how you feel about the way they should approach the deadline ha- has not wavered seeing what we've seen the last... See, I'll say, I, I believe that we spoke last Friday. We were, we were sitting here in this, same, in this same studio talking last Friday a week ago, and you were very adamant, nope, just I don't think they should give up anything to, to make a move to affect this year. And a one week later, I can't imagine you're feeling any differently. I, you, you know, I don't feel a ton differently. The the one thing I will say, well, maybe two two potential changes. Yeah. My understanding is Michael Stone's injury is not something we're going to see him hop on the ice for morning skate on Tuesday. I think it's fair to say right now he is week to week. Yes, that's my understanding as well. Yeah. And so I would probably be more understanding of giving something up for a depth defenseman based on that. I think, you know, you, you're not selling and, and you owe it to this team just because of the investment you made in them in the summer. I think you owe it to, to at least see this playoff scrap through. And so you probably need a depth defenseman to help in that regard. I'm going to loosen the purse strings a little bit on that matter. The way Jacob Pelche has played in the last two nights, and and I get the two-game sample size for a, a player who's still only played 13 games in the National Hockey League, I'm even less inclined to pay the price on a forward. I am a thousand percent there when it comes to acquiring another forward. In That's fact, almost full, isn't it? A thousand percent. I think I don't think you can go much higher than that. Maybe fifteen hundred percent. But I'm, I'm pretty. We've high done up math there. on this show before, and it did not go well. I'm fully confident on a thousand percent being a thing. Um, I just and we're going to talk more about Pelche on the roundtable coming up. But with the way he's played and he's starting to produce now, and the way Dewar has played and. He goes back to the American League and plays, what, another three weeks there before getting his next opportunity. I think these two guys are in. If if I'm if I'm Brad Treliving, if I'm Daryl Sutter, A, if I'm Daryl, they're in. And if I'm Brad, I'm going out of my way to keep them on the roster. And that means maybe exposing other players to waivers to make sure that these guys remain on the roster. And so because of that, I would much rather them continue to let Pelche flourish and continue to let Pelche grow and not go out and bring in a 29-year-old, 30-year-old pending UFA. Don't give up the assets for that and push Pelche either down the lineup or back to the American League. Instead, keep your assets and let Pelche continue to grow. And to a lesser extent, if you're looking to add a depth forward, I think you have added a depth forward. He wears number 71. He's the he's the best player to ever come from South Dakota. Like, I, I, how can you not? But but honestly, I think Dewar has looked very at home in that role. I like the way he and Trevor Lewis play off of one another. And so I think my acquisitions are Jacob Pelche and Walker Dewar. And I hate, I think it's so cheesy when you're like, well, we got a guy back from an injury. It's basically a deadline acquisition. But I would be looking at, Pelche and Dewar 
as my deadline acquisitions. And by doing so, you don't have to spend your assets to go chase a, a guy who might help push you a little bit further, probably isn't going to push you over the top. Can I hit you really quick with a totally useless fact before yes. I respond? Yes. A few years ago, useless facts. Uh, several years ago, ESPN did a, I believe it was ESPN, did a feature on the best hockey player from each state. And believe it or not, Walker Dewar now has South Dakota locked up. But at that point, he was playing in the USHL. He took that title. It was his cousin who at that point was playing in the ECHL that ESPN, his cousin's name is Zeb. I don't remember his last name. At that point, dubbed he got South, the South Dakota's. Dakota. Yep, the Mount Rushmore of South Dakota hockey players. Now, isn't Mount Rushmore in South Dakota? It is. I believe it is. Very yeah. top. I'm yeah. very topical. One thousand percent topical. Yeah, well Anyways, done. that was a that was a veer off course and a topic no one no one saw coming. But to your point, it's what I'm here for though, I I do want to see a few more games of what we've just seen out of out of Walker Dewar, and I only say that in the in the sense that I thought that sort of energy. It sort of died down the last time he was up. And he was still effective, but the guy we've seen in the last two games, and really particularly in Arizona, looked like he was shot out of a cannon. That was a guy who had just been called up and didn't want to go back. And and I just want to see him sort of maintain that energy and that thump for a few games. And yet, I'm certainly not going out and trading for another guy who you're going to throw in your your yep. bottom three mix. Like that fourth line mix, there's, there's enough guys in there, including a couple in Adam Ruzicka and Brett Ritchie, Brett Ritchie who yeah. have been healthy scratched these past couple of games. And so I, I'm not going there, and I could not agree with you more. 2,000% potentially. On a lot. what you're saying about Jacob Pelche. Cool. If we're sitting here at 428 next Friday talking about James Van Riemsdyk coming in to take Jacob Pelche's spot on the second line, I'll be scratching the last pieces of hair out of my head. I just won't get it. Uh, and I'll bounce this one off you very shortly. Very quickly, rather. Do you have any interest... In no. Kasperi Kapanen on waivers. I don't. I and I would have been way more for it if there wasn't three point two million on his if if it was an expiring deal, I'd be like I would be calling Tree right now. I'd be like, Brad, hey, it's it's Steinberg. I know that you're really looking for my <laughs> advice. You should go put a claim in on Kapanen. I just it it he's having a down year. I think he's got seven goals. But he would be a good fit for right now but not worth the pain in the ass it would be for next year adding they're already at like 80 81 million right. you don't need another 3.2 on your cap for next year so if it wasn't for that i think i would be really interested but unfortunately you don't get to you don't get to pick and choose the circumstances here yeah the the profile in terms of a uh, right-handed forward with some offensive gifts reclamation project that you know we might be at the point that that you could say that about Kapanen the profile you you like but taking on 3.2 for next season I don't think makes sense and if if Brad Treliving and, and company 
do think it makes sense, don't claim them off waivers. Make make a trade. Make Pittsburgh do yeah. you a favor to take that contract. But at this point, you know, we're talking about a Flames team that doesn't have a, a ton of cap wiggle room either. I I just I'm not going there. Uh, one more text before we uh, hit the roundtable. Our uh, guy Joel in Clarisholm says uh, some teams can outscore their mistakes or have a goaltender that has the ability to steal games, but most serious contenders win games by winning in more offensive, defensive, and special teams categories. The Flames were built to win in this complete game fashion, but haven't played enough games with a complete 60-minute effort in all parts of their game. That's what they're going to be up against in the next part of the schedule. Colorado, Boston, Toronto coming up next. The Avs. Gulp. Yeah, the, the Avs look like the Avs again. Now, the good news is the Avs are on a tough back-to-back. They've got Winnipeg Friday in Winnipeg, and it's not like Winnipeg to Denver is a, is a quick little jaunt. That's like three and a half hours in the air. You play in Winnipeg, you fly back, and luckily it's a late game for them. But the Flames will be a fresher group than the Avalanche. See if they can take advantage of that on Saturday. I, I think I was saying in October that I couldn't imagine a much tougher back-to-back than hanging your Stanley Cup banner at home on, I believe, it was either a Wednesday or Friday night and then flying up to play the Flames on the second half of back-to-back. Winnipeg to Denver might be worse. Yeah. Both times the Flames play the Avalanche so far, they get them on a tough back-to-back. So took advantage last time, so take advantage this time. Yeah, and I I think we're going to see a great game tomorrow. You know, something I wrote today that I, I truly believe, we would talk about this in almost any other circumstance we'd be saying oh measuring stick matchup you know go prove you can hang with the defending champs where we're at and we've been breaking this down for the last half hour where we're at with the flames is that one night isn't going to prove anything yeah agreed Agreed 100%. By the way, a week away from the trade deadline, our deadline day coverage on Friday, March 3rd is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Using the same secret recipe since 1975, dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take out or delivery at 403-248-3344. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time for our Daily Flames roundtable on this Friday. It is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Upgrade your current Mercedes-Benz to a 2022 model with a 2% additional reduction. Drive over to Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary airport. Um, It's Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson from Post Media. Now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. And, and guys, let's start with goaltending. So Dan Vladar gets the start on back-to-back nights. He wins in Arizona, picks up the OT loss in Vegas. It was something I was calling for heading in. It was something that on Wednesday's post game, when I was asked, who would you start? I said, I would go 100% back to Vladar. Not a not a heavy workload in Arizona. Not a ton of travel. He picked up the win. Stick with him. I had no idea what they were going to do. That's just what I would have done had I been making the decision. They do decide to go back to Vladar. I know it surprised many. Just the reaction on Twitter, you could tell there was a lot of surprise and uh listen to our colleague eric francis in vegas post game on thursday when he quizzed daryl sutter about that decision what uh, what goes into the decision to start vladar back to back uh when you when you're in 
That's what we did before with Marky too, the last time too. Is that the, the process moving forward? Yeah, I'll see, you know what, it's, I think tonight finishes short turnaround five and eight. So, uh, we'll, you know, guys get a day off tomorrow, we'll decide then. So, win and you're in is the rationale when it comes to goalies. For now, we think. Uh, do we like that, gentlemen? I don't love it, but I understand it. I mean, it's been a tough season for both of them, more so for Jacob Markstrom because he was a runner-up for the Vesna Trophy last season, had really high expectations coming into this season, and we all had high expectations for him and for the Flames goaltending tandem. I thought that Jacob Markstrom and Dan Vladar could be, if not the best, and certainly one of the best goaltending tandems in the NHL, but... You know, here we are, and Markstrom's played 38 games and has an 889 save percentage, and Vladar's played 23 games and has an 898 save percentage. Two goaltenders below 900 is not a recipe for success. And I was on with George and Matt on the morning show today, and they said the Flames ranked 28th out of 32 teams in team save percentage. I'm not sure anybody, internally or externally, saw that coming. As far as the win and you're in, Boy, that puts a lot of pressure on two goaltenders who I think are already putting a lot of pressure on themselves. And on the flip side, what kind of message does that send to the players in front of the goaltenders? I really think that one of these guys, Jacob or Dan, has to take the ball and run with it here. I don't know if bouncing back and forth between these two goaltenders for the final 23 games of the season with a win and in philosophy is going to get the Flames to where they want to go, and that's back to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I really think that if they're going to get back to the playoffs and be a dangerous team if they get there, one of these guys is going to have to start to play at a higher level. I'm not saying that you know Jacob or Dan has to play at a Vesna Trophy level, but if the Flames can get, and you threw out this number last night, Pat, 9-10 goaltending, not over the course of the season, but from this point until the end of the season, I think they're going to make the playoffs. Might even finish top three in the Pacific Division. But one of these guys or both of these guys is going to have to be better moving forward. And again, when you're bouncing back and forth between two goaltenders, I've got to think that the 18 skaters that are playing in front of them can't be going into the games feeling overly confident about what's behind them. And I think that because the Flames have been in more one-goal games and have lost more one-goal games than any team in the league... That has put an incredible amount of pressure on the two goaltenders. They must feel like they have to be perfect because there have been so many games this season where it's been one goal or one save that has been the difference between zero points, one point, or two points. That's a lot of pressure to put on your goaltenders. And the win and in, I think, just adds to that pressure. So Flames are going to get to the playoffs. I think one of these guys is going to have to become the number one because right now I think the Flames have a a 1A and a 1B, or as someone pointed out on Twitter today, a 2A and a 2B. I wonder, Wilsey, if winning you're in is the best way to get to what you're describing. Because you're absolutely right. Somebody's got to take this ball and has to run with it. But that's sort of been the case for the Calgary Flames for the past few months. And so winning you're in perhaps lets one guy build up his confidence a little bit. The, the thing is, we're talking about a team that hasn't won back-to-back games in in more than a month. We're we're talking about a team that hasn't won three in a row since early December. So 
winning you're in with stats like that is setting you up to not have a goalie go on an extended run. Yeah. And yet I think the strategy or, or the fingers crossed hope like hell is that this is what helps one guy get on a roll, knowing that if you go win the game, you're going to get the chance in the next one, because I feel like they've tried a whole bunch of other things to get one guy on a roll. And we haven't seen it. In fact, the way Dan Vladar has struggled of late, their goaltending might be in the worst predicament we've seen so far this season, which is really saying something. So, first of all, this is as as stunning a one-season swing as I can ever remember, at least covering this team when it comes to goaltending. They went from having... Uh, so they are the uh, 28th ranked save percentage, and even more telling to me, the one that I pay, the the one that is the the even more telling stat to me in terms of what you're actually getting from your goaltending tandem is when you look at that five on five save percentage. Their five on five save percentage is 29 of 32 at 902, and here is the stunning part: it went from last year being fourth overall in the NHL at 925 and it swings to 902. That is a 23-point swing in one season. Of course you're going to be losing more games than you won the year before. Like that 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 is almost insurmountable in the NHL when you talk about a swing like that. It's not even the 4th to 29th, it's that 23-point swing which is really scary. Sorry, go go ahead. I was just going to ask you cuz I think you have the stat in front of you. Would I be would I be right to guess that the three teams lower than the Flames on that five-on-five five save percentage are, are perhaps sellers? Except the enigmatic Los Angeles Kings. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they're doing what they're doing, friends. I don't. Um, Their number one guy has been in the AHL most of the season. Yeah, exactly. So who um, are the three they're, they're chasing for that dubious distinction? So it's L.A., San Jose, Vancouver are okay. the only teams with worst five-on-five save percentages this year. And the year. Canucks haven't Demko. had their number one goaltender for most of the season. Yeah, Demko's, Demko. Demko's been out for quite a while. Yeah. Um, so so that that is stunning. And and yet, I don't mind the win-and-you're-in-ish philosophy. And it really, Derek, it, it, it isn't much different than what I've been advocating for for a number of weeks now, and that is game by game. It's less about the result and more about the way you've played. And I do think the win is the most important thing right now. So probably if you win, you stay in. But I don't necessarily know if you lose. That means you can't go back in. I just, to me, I think it comes down to what have you done for me lately? And what have you done for me most recently in that what did you do last game? And okay, Vladar did not win against Vegas there was the the soft goal that swung momentum early in the third period. So see what Markstrom can do against Colorado, and then you evaluate for Tuesday against Boston based on what you see against the Avalanche. Because two things are true right now. Number one, Jacob Markstrom is no longer this team's, for the time being, right now, is, is not this team's, no questions asked, number one. They don't have a one right now, and you can't be rolling as if you have a, a one. And number two, guys, the other thing that has not happened, Dan Vladar hasn't taken this thing and said, this is, this is my time, I'm going to run with it. So they don't have a one, and they don't have the other guy that has stepped up and been like, okay, I'm going to take advantage of this, and I'm going to get on a roll. So you almost have to be in a game-by-game 
philosophy or game-by-game mindset when it comes to who you're starting each and every night? I get it, but again, I don't necessarily agree with it. And But is there any, like, are you confident just using either guy as the one right now? Well, I think one of them has to step up. And at this point, it probably doesn't even matter which one of them yeah. steps up, but one of them has to step up. And the reason why I don't love the win in your in, even though I, I get it, I get where they're coming from. The other way hasn't worked. So they're going to potentially try something new. Although when Daryl answered Eric's question last night, it didn't sound to me like winning in was written in stone uh, or even in pen, more in pencil. But uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. I would be shocked if Jacob Markstrom uh, didn't start versus the Avalanche on Saturday night. But I think you guys are on the same page as me when it comes to at times this season, Jacob Markstrom has been his own worst enemy. And it's because he is such a competitor. All he wants to do is help this team win hockey games. And that's been a challenge for him. And I think he's put a ton of pressure on himself. I think the frustration has continued to build and to build and to build. And when he's at his best, he's a big goaltender. And when he's at his best, he's quiet in his crease. And he kind of lets the game come to him. That's not the guy I've seen more often than not. I see a Jacob Markstrom who's doing kind of what Mike Smith used to do when he was fighting it, and that's attacking the puck and attacking the game instead of just letting it come to him and and looking like a relaxed goaltender between the pipes. Uh, You know, easier for me to say this than for him to do this, but I I think he's got to take a deep breath, and I think it's hard to take a deep breath when you go into a game and, and your mindset is, I better stop every shot, otherwise I might not start the next game. And I don't know when I'm going to get another game. I just think that's really tough for a goaltender, and maybe more so for Jacob Markstrom than for Dan Vladar. Vladar, I think, is more of a turtle in the sense that he just kind of lets things run off his back, or at least that's my perception of him. But it's been the opposite with Markstrom. We heard his comments earlier this year when he uh, lied to us all and said he sucked at hockey. But I think that gives you a glimpse into his mindset right now easier said than done, but I think he needs to take a deep breath and just settle down a little bit. But I think it will be hard to do that if you if you think you can't make a mistake because you don't know when you're going to get your next game if you do. So would you go to Jacob Markstrom and say, listen, it hasn't been a great year, but you're our guy and we're riding you down the stretch? Is that how you rebuild his confidence? I think they've probably already tried that, West. I yeah. don't know that they have, but I, I'm guessing that they have. And reading Eric Francis's article, he sat down with Brad Treleving on the road and Brad addressed the team earlier this week and basically told the guys, listen, forget what's happened in the first 50 plus games. We're still in a position to get to the playoffs and achieve our goals. Let's just take it from here. And I think that's the mindset you have to have individually and collectively if you're the Flames. Don't you guys agree? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. And the one, you know, the the last thing I'd say on win and you're in it is we can probably all hearken back to October when Daryl Sutter told us Dan Vladar was going to play once a week and and then I think had two starts in the next month or so. So <laughs> the head coach of the Calgary Flames is not going to necessarily feel beholden to what he told the media his goaltending no. plan was moving forward. And And to your point, Derek, he did sort of hedge on it last night. He didn't fully commit to it so uh the guessing game i i think you're absolutely right it's got to be marks from tomorrow but the the guessing game probably continues 
for the rest of the season, potentially. Daily Flames Roundtable with Derek Wes and Pat. Uh, on a uh, lighter note, gents, the way Jacob Pelche is playing has been a lot of fun, and he's starting to produce. He's got five points in his last four games. He had two points Thursday against Vegas. How close to being convinced are we that he's here to stay? I'm getting there. Uh, I only hedge my bet because of what happened to Adam Ruzicka earlier this season. It looked like he was here to stay and potentially be a, a top six or at least a top nine guy for this team when after being a healthy scratch in 10 of the first 11 games, he gets inserted in the lineup, not just inserted in the lineup, but inserted on the left side of the Flames' top line with Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli and then goes on a tear and puts up 20 points in 24 games and then falls off a cliff. And now he's a healthy scratch more often than not. So I I just think that uh, that can happen to young players. It's hard to be consistent in the NHL. Now, with that said, I do think that there are some significant differences between uh, Adam Ruzicka and Jacob Peltier. Ruzicka's always had a reputation for being inconsistent. Peltier hasn't. And I've seen Really impressive consistency from him in his first 13 NHL games. Pat, as you talked about uh, on the broadcast on Thursday night, yeah, he's had a couple of off nights, but they weren't horrible nights. Just a little off, which can be expected not only from a young player, but from any player in this league. It's, It's hard to play at a high level in the NHL day in, day out, but way more good games than not good games. And I would say, and I don't know if you guys see it the same way, But I would say that uh, in two or three games that he's played in this season, he's been one of the team's two or three best forwards. And last night was one of those games for me. I absolutely loved Jacob Peltier in that game against the Golden Knights. I think he's been a great addition to the team's second power play and maybe the best guy on that power play since they went back to the old units. And I just love the details in his game. He is a great skater. He has a really high hockey IQ, and in this day and age when you've got that uh, to go with his skill set and his competitiveness, I think the sky's the limit. He is off to a way better start in his NHL career than I thought he would be. I thought he might be here for a cup of coffee and then back with the Calgary Wranglers. I'm not sure he's going back, guys. If it wasn't for the the possibility of a playoff run for the Calgary Wranglers and the question mark about whether the Flames will be on a playoff run of their own. I Fair. think the Wranglers could take his number 49 jersey and raffle it off to a fan. <laughs> That's how convinced I yeah. am that he's not going to be back in the AHL anytime soon. And one thing that really struck me last night, you know, watching the Sportsnet broadcast, right at the start of overtime, or, or right, I suppose, before overtime started, they showed Jacob Pelche on the bench and his lips were just moving like crazy. He is a chatterbox. And I think we're seeing him really come out of that shell with the Calgary Flames. It's understandable. I, I've talked to Jacob about this. I've talked to Dennis Gilbert about this. You're not going to get called up from the farm and come into the locker room and be the loudest guy right away but if you talk to anyone who knows Jacob Pelche from his junior days from his Stockton slash Calgary Wranglers days from his world junior days this is a guy who has an infectious level of enthusiasm energy never stops 
talking and encouraging teammates. And I think we're starting to see that now with the Flames. That's what I saw when I, I picked up that glimpse of him on, on the broadcast last night, right before overtime. That looked like a pretty quiet group having just frittered away a two-goal lead. And here's a kid who's played 13 games in the NHL trying to pump up his buddies. Yep. And and that's just another sign on, on top of the power play goals, on top of two really nice assists in the past two games. That's just another sign to me that he's settling in, and I think he's here to stay. I, I'm pretty convinced, guys, and to the point that I think it, it alters or or further convinces me about what the Flames should or, in this case, should not do with the deadline. I, I would much rather them see, or, or I would much rather see them keep Pelche on the roster, in the lineup, let him grow, let him flourish, let him develop, keep Pelche, let the benefits of him playing for the rest of the season stack up and also hold on to your really important future assets. I, I would much rather them see them go that route. And to a lesser extent, in a lesser spot, same thing with Walker Dewar. I'd rather those guys get the chance and build on what they've done and use this time to hit the ground running for next year than go chase a 30-year-old that, that might help them for the rest of this season. So that that that's how convinced I am on Pelche. He he looks like an NHLer and now the points are starting to come with it too. I see it a little bit differently, Pat. I still am in buy mode if I'm the Flames, uh less than I was uh, even a few weeks ago, but I still think this team has the potential to do some damage in the Stanley Cup playoffs, especially when I look at the teams around them in the Pacific Division and the Western Conference. Uh, Nobody really scares me all that much. The Oilers might be at the top of the list, actually. Um, but the Avalanche haven't been healthy all season. They're still not healthy. They're going to be without Kale McCarr tomorrow night. See if the Flames can take advantage of that. The thing with young players, at least some young players, or even most young players, I would say, is that once they get called up, sometimes their mindset changes. And they start to think, okay, I've made it. I can take a deep breath. And I think that's happened to, and I hate to keep picking on him, but I think that's happened to Adam Ruzicka at times. He got maybe too easily satisfied, and as a result, his game dropped off. I don't see that happening with Jacob Peltier. He is such a competitor, and he's always been that way. And even if the Flames do go out and add a top six or a top nine winger, and he gets bumped down the lineup, I think that just might pour fuel on the fire for Jacob Peltier. I think he might play just as hard, if not harder, to try to stay in the lineup and maybe try to move back up the lineup. Uh, and when Adam got demoted from the first line to the fourth line, I, I don't think he dealt with it really well. I think Jacob would probably deal with it better, uh, although maybe I'm jumping to a conclusion there. But that just seems to be the way he's wired. So we'll see what happens here. Um, tomorrow's a big game. Flames win it, come home with five out of six points, feeling pretty good about themselves. If they don't, they could be even farther out of a playoff spot. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, as far as Jacob Pelche is concerned, he's been a real bright spot for this team. And it's been a lot of fun to watch him inject some life on that line with Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberdeau. And as we saw last night, after Jacob scored, uh, he recorded his second straight two-point game by assisting Jonathan Huberdeau. And watching that chemistry develop between those two guys who are close off the ice, that's been pretty fun too. Thank you, Wilsey.
Okay, have a good weekend, everybody. He's Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that is your Daily Flames Roundtable to wrap up the hour. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Upgrade your current Mercedes-Benz to a 2022 model with a 2% additional reduction. Drive over to Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary Airport.